Well, I want to say good morning to those of you in the room and those who are watching uh, online. And if you're watching online especially, I really want your full attention. In fact, the message today is not primarily for the people in this building. It's primarily for the people who are not. So I really want you to pay attention. But uh, we are moving forward to a church as a church. And here's what we finally decided. Ever since COVID, we've been responding. And we've tried to respond as best as we can. We're going to move from responding now to leading. Now's the time to lead. And we're determined we're going to do everything we can to re-engage our people to come to church in person. We need your help and your help out there to reach our community for Jesus and for us to be the church that God wants us to be. And so to begin to really build what we need to build, we're going to be going back to two worship services on September the 12th. We'll have a 915 service. We'll have an 11 o'clock service. Okay, we're providing that option. Now, I want you to put down on your calendar September the 12th. We'll still be in one service, but I want you to put down September the 12th. Okay, this is very, very important. I've got a very special message that I'm preaching about the future of our church and who we are and where we're going, and I need you to put that on your calendar. Now, your ticket to get in to September the 19th, got to have a ticket. Your ticket is somebody. You got to bring somebody with you on September the 19th. I'm praying it's going to be one of the biggest, best days we've had since this whole COVID miss. So I hope you'll help me in doing that. Now, with that said, I'm going to be looking a lot into the camera today because, again, I'm not primarily talking to people in the room. I'm primarily talking to people who are on Zoom. And one of the top questions I get as a pastor, especially from someone who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness or someone who's very close to death or someone who just lost a loved one in death, it's about heaven. And the questions are like this. So, so what is heaven like? And a big one is, so will we know our loved ones in heaven? Will we know each other in heaven? Of course, another big one is, what will, be, will we be doing in heaven? And I really thought about, it's amazing how I'm starting off my message this way. Some of you may have heard but Coach Bobby Bowden went to be with the Lord this morning, and we've had Coach Bowden in our church here, had him in my former church. I'm really sweet friends with the Bowden family. He's in heaven today, and Scripture is very plain. First of all, yes, we will know each other in heaven. As a matter of fact, we'll have perfect knowledge. We will know people we've never met. We'll know Paul when we see Paul. We'll know Peter. We'll know James. We'll know John. We'll know some of the great people that we've heard about that we've never met before. But the flip side of that is, the Bible really doesn't go into a lot of great detail into what heaven is like and all that we're going to be doing in heaven. The one thing I do know is we can't even imagine how great heaven is going to be. The Bible is very clear. God says, mind, your mind cannot conceive. Your heart cannot even envision the great things in store for those who love me. Now, I do know some things we're not going to be doing. We are not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, drinking lemonade. That's not what heaven is going to be. I do know two things we're going to do in heaven. We're going to worship, and we're going to work. But now, let me again tell you some things that we're not going to do in heaven. Ready? I'm looking into the camera. Listen to me carefully. You're not going to Zoom heaven. You don't live stream heaven. You're not going to need a TV, a computer, a cell phone, or a tablet to experience heaven. 
We're going to be in heaven together forever. You might say it is a family reunion that never ends. You'll never have to leave to go home when you get to heaven because you'll be home. You won't go to heaven when you just don't have any other place to go or nothing else to do or it's a rainy day so you can't go to the lake. When you go to heaven, you will be in heaven. You don't go to heaven when you feel like going. You don't go to heaven when it's convenient to go. We will all be together forever. Now, having said that, I want to say this. The truth is, if you are a true believer in Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, you don't have to go to heaven. You want to go to heaven. That's the desire of your heart. You want to be there. You don't have to be together with other believers. You want to be together with other believers. Now, if you're watching me right now, you're Zooming, you're in your PJs, you're drinking your coffee, having your time, and you say, man, I've really enjoyed this kind of post-COVID thing, I want you to listen to this next statement. What is true of heaven is true of the church. What is true of heaven is true of the church. In a real sense, church is meant to be heaven on earth. Because one of the major reasons why we have church and do church, and ought to be in church, and come to church, is because what we're really doing in a real sense is a dress rehearsal for heaven. Because in heaven, we're going to worship. In heaven, we're going to serve. Even in heaven, we're still going to be discipled because we've never, we will never learn everything we can learn about God. Now, having said all of that, I'm hoping and praying you haven't already shut me off right now. If you're still watching, I want to make another statement, as powerful as I can make it and as bluntly as I can say it. If you have no desire to be involved in a local church with a body of believers at least one day a week, what makes you think you're going to enjoy being with those believers in eternity forever? Makes no sense to me. I don't need to be in church. I can worship God on my own. I'm enjoying this COVID deal. I like not having to go to church. I like not having to get up. I like not having to get my kids ready to go to church. Well, if that is such a burden to you now, why do you want to be with us forever in heaven? I used to belong to a gym. I read an article recently. It was so fascinating. 13 things gyms won't tell you. So if you're a member of a gym, you might like this. The lead line hit me right between the eyes. You ready for this? This is what is true of your local gym. You ready? We count on you not to show up. We count on you not to show up. You know why? They went on to explain 50% of people who join a gym and start an exercise regimen quit within six months. That's okay with them. Gyms are not designed to handle actual membership because if everybody was a member of the gym, actually showed up on the same day, they'd be in big trouble. You couldn't work out. You couldn't even get in. They couldn't fit you in the door. Now, read my lips. The truth, the church is not a gym. God expects you to show up. God expects you to get out of your bed, take your bath, have your coffee, get your kids ready, and be in the house of God with God's people. 
God the Father expects you to show up. God the Son expects you to show up. God the Holy Spirit expects you to show up. It was Palm Sunday, but because of a sore throat, five-year-old Connor had to stay home with a babysitter. So when the family got home, they walked in and they were carrying palm branches. And so Connor looked at his, at his older brother and he said, what are those palm branches for? And his older brother said, well, he said, people held them over Jesus' head as he walked by. Connor looked at his brother and said, wouldn't you know it? The one Sunday he comes, I don't show up. <laughs> now, I want you to hear me clearly. You go to any church, any Sunday, anywhere in the world, and there's one thing I guarantee you for sure. If in that church the word is preached, the gospel is proclaimed, the Lord is exalted, people are encouraged, truth is presented, sin is confronted, God always shows up. Now listen carefully. The God that shows up for us expects us to show up for him. The God that shows up for us expects us to show up for him. Now let me just stop right here. I, I get it. I want to say right now, I know what I'm doing. I kind of feel like a kamikaze pilot because I know right now I'm facing an uphill battle. I don't know it. I can't prove it, but I guarantee you right now there are people that shut me down already. They don't want to hear it. They don't like what I've said. They're, they're living their comfortable Christianity. They're in their PJs. They've had their coffee. They say, you know what? We'll just go watch somebody else. We'll just go Zoom somebody else. I realize I'm facing an uphill battle. Because for the first time in America, a majority of Americans, listen to this, over half of all Americans say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. According to the Hartford Institute of Religion Institute, while more than 40% of Americans say they go to church, only 20% actually do. That means four out of five people in your neighborhood are doing what some of you are doing right now. If they're even going to church, they're going to church by Zoom. Three million church members fall into complete inactivity every year. Between 2010 and 2012, half of all United States churches, listen to this, between 2010 and 2012, half of all churches in the United States didn't add one new member. In two years, not a new member. Less people, fewer people are now going to church now more than ever in the history of of this country. Now, here's what really gets me. The majority of people in America still claim to be Christians. However, when you look at Christians who are actively in the game, I mean, that means they're engaged in their church. That's what they're what we would call practicing Christians, as opposed to those who, for, their church, for them, church is no longer an option. It's just one option among many. Now, we know that only three out of Americans who claim to be Christians are actually practicing Christians. In other words, what they say they believe on Sunday, they actually live out on Monday. But then you've got these Christians, and Christianity for them is just kind of, it's just background noise, something they can ignore. They, they think Christianity is something they basically can take it or they can leave it. There's a name for them. They're called legacy Christians. Legacy Christians are now the largest faith group in America. Three out of four United States adults have some Christian background. Three out of four have some Christian background, but four out of five, their faith is totally inactive. 
Their faith has no effect on their life whatsoever. A 2012 Pew Research poll asked Americans who said that spirituality and religion were somewhat important in their lives, but they either didn't attend church or attended sporadically. They said, why don't you attend church more often? Why do you ever not go or you just rarely go or you just sometimes go? Listen to this. The number one answer given by almost 40% of the people who said they quit going to church was this reason. They just didn't consider attending worship services with other believers important. I couldn't believe it. Then I read a statement by a pastor who I highly respect, who's an author of several books, and his books are absolutely great, great books. I could call his name, and 80% of you would know who he is. And he read, I, I, this, is, this is what a pastor wrote. I, I, I'm not making this up. May you've been attending church for years out of a sense of obligation. You show up week after week out of habit or because someone expects you to, but it's actually increasing the distance between you and God. So here is an idea. Stop going to church until you want to go again. Find out why you want to go. Trust him you truly seek. God will bring the desire back to you. That is not only an unbiblical statement, it is absolutely wrong. You will never solve a spiritual problem you have by quitting church. You will never come within a country mile of getting closer to God if you quit going to church. If going to a, listen, if going to a true New Testament church, I will be the first one to tell you, Yes, there are some churches you ought to saturate with your absence. There are some churches you don't need to go to. They will draw you away from God. But I'm telling you right now, if you go to a true New Testament church, if that church does not draw you closer to God, the problem's not the church. The problem is you. And the remedy is not to quit going to church. So I say all this to say I freely admit the church is facing a crossroads today. We are. It's really been at a crossroads for a while. COVID just kind of accelerated it. So in the spirit of being a good neighbor and being under the authority of government, doing everything we can to keep the golden rule, what did we do? We did what we should have done. We do it again. We suspended in-house attendance. We're trying to be a good neighbor. We're, not, we're trying to help tamp down this virus and tamp down this sickness. So we did what we were asked to do. We did it for the sake of being a good neighbor and being a good witness. But now, listen to me, now the time has come to come home. The time has come to come home. The time has come for the church that is going to heaven together for eternity to come back together on earth. It is time for true followers of Christ, true believers, those who really say that they love Jesus, it is time for you to shut down your iPads, turn off your iPhones, Turn off your computer, get your kids ready, get out of your house, and come to God's house. It is time to come home. By the way, the problem of people quitting going to church didn't just happen yesterday. That's why we're going to study a passage today. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to a book called Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. If you go to Revelation, go back to the left about five or six books, you'll find it. Hebrews chapter 10. This really is, is encouraging in a way. The early church had an attendance deficit, as we're going to learn in this chapter. 
Because here's what the author of Hebrews said. Listen to this. He said, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Evidently, 2,000 years ago, there was the, they had the same problem we do. Believers were beginning to slack off, drop out, sleep in. Now, I've often wondered, so what did, if you didn't go to church, what did people do? I, I, I don't, maybe they went to the chariot races. Maybe they went to the lamb chili cook-off. Maybe they were boating on the Sea of Galilee. Maybe they stayed home to watch Who's Smarter Than a Pharisee. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know what they were doing, but the author of Hebrews makes it very plain that coming together was just not a big deal to them, and it just wasn't important. So three times in this passage we're going to study, the author of Hebrews uses a two-word phrase, let us, let us, let us. He's saying, I want to talk to all of us together. I'm talking to you as a whole. He's talking to all of us together. And he says, let me tell you three things we ought to be doing together on earth that one day we will be doing together in heaven. Number one, we are to exalt the Father. Everybody say that word with me. Together in God's house. We are to exalt the Father Together. And I want you to notice that the author uses only personal pronouns, and it's always plural. It's never singular. It's always plural. It's never you. It's always us. <clears throat> so we begin with this passage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, that's a lot to read, but let me just make it some. Here's what he was saying. Now that Jesus has died for us, and now that Jesus has paid the way for us to go directly to God, we ought to draw near to God together. We should come to church. We ought to want to come to church because we want to draw near to God. And we just want to draw near to God by ourselves. We want to draw near to God with each other. Now, let me just stop. Some of you are saying right now, and I'm going to agree with you. You say, well, I can draw to God by myself. I don't need you to help me draw to God. Yes, you can draw near to God by yourself. And by the way, you should draw near to God by yourself. I begin this morning, as I begin every morning, drawing near to God by myself. But here's what you'll find. When you really draw near to God by yourself, there will be a desire for you to want to draw near to God with somebody else. There is never... Any desire that makes you want to play Lone Ranger Christianity is not from God. When you draw near to God by yourself, you want to draw near to God with other people. And I'm telling you, because we're in this room and you know it and I know it. There is just something different about worshiping God and praising God and exalting God and thanking God and loving God with other believers. I mean, instinctively, we know that. I have season tickets to the University of Georgia. I live 45 minutes from Athens. 
But every Georgia game is televised. I could easily stay home. I could, watch the, I could watch it on TV. When I get through, I don't have to fight traffic going in, traffic going out. You say, yeah, why do you go to the game? You know why I go to the game. There's something different. When you're with 93,000 rabid dogs, <laughs> and you can't even hear yourself talk after a great play, and I'm shaking my older brother. I get so excited when they score a TD. There's something different about being there. I mean, here's a good example. Take Christmas. What, we, don't, we don't do this at Christmas. We don't call our family up and say, don't come to my house. I just want to celebrate Christmas by myself. No, you don't. There's something about that holiday. You want your family to come together. You want to open gifts together. You want to eat together. You can mail your gifts. You could drop your gifts off at the, on the front porch, but you do not want to do that. We don't celebrate Christmas with our family because we have to. We celebrate because we want to. You know why? They are the ones that benefit. We're the ones that get blessed. So let me just say this very clear to you right now. There is something wrong with somebody who is a part of a family, but they don't want to be a part of the family. So if you're watching me right now and you say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a part of the family of God, but you don't have any desire to be here today. You have no desire to be here once a week in this building with other believers. There is something desperately wrong with you. Not with the family, not with the building, but with you. There's just something defective about somebody who says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian, but I have no desire to go to church. Again, let me ask you a simple question. So who's going to heaven? Answer's easy, right? The church. I don't just mean people who are members of the church. I mean people who are part of the true church, who are part of the body of Christ, who make up the bride of Christ. So I'm going to ask a question one more time. If you don't want to be a part of the church even one day a week, why would you want to be a part of the church for all eternity? And by the way, let me just get this out of the way. The church was God's idea. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't a Baptist idea or a Methodist idea or a Lutheran idea or a Catholic idea. The church was God's idea. So here, you know what? That tells me something. If God thought the church was a great idea, we ought to think the church is a great idea. If God thinks the church is important, we ought to come together. We ought to think it's important. And listen, let me just tell you this. God designed the church for our benefit. You say, well, you mean like our spiritual benefit? Oh, no, it's more than that. God knew what he was doing. He designed it for our physical benefit. You ready for this? Survey after survey have shown a positive link between church attendance and physical health. One study conducted by Robert Hummer of the University of Texas surveyed 21,000 adults over a nine-year period. Listen to this. He found that people who never attend church, never go, are four times as likely to die from respiratory disease, diabetes, or infectious diseases. But God said, you know why you ought to go to church? Not just because of your spiritual health. Not just because of your physical health. How about your emotional health? In 2016, Harvard School of Public Health Professor Tyler Vander Wheelie and journalist John Sinoff, they wrote a U.S. Today op-ed entitled, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. Now these guys, I don't know if they're the believers or not, but here's what they concluded. If one could conceive of a single elixir, to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society 
place on it? Great question. Then they went on to outline the mental, the physical, and the emotional benefits that correlated with going to church. Here's what they found. If you regularly attend a local church, you will reduce your mortality by 20 to 30% over a 15-year period. They went on to find research success that all people, this is true of everybody, you regularly attend church, you will be more optimistic, you'll have a lower chance of depression, you'll be less likely to commit suicide, you'll have a greater purpose in life, you'll be less likely to divorce, and you'll be more self-controlled. So yes, we ought to come to church to exalt the Father together, to draw near to God together, to worship God together, but if that's not enough, let me put it to you this way. Come to church, it might save your life. We ought to exalt the Father together. Then he says something else. We are to express our faith together. We're to express our faith together. Now, let, we see these two words a second time, those words, let us. Here's what he said. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, here's what he's doing. He's talking to the whole church. He said, you know what? We ought to express our hope together. We ought to express our faith together. And you see that little word, unswervingly? It's a great word in the Greek language. It literally means staying in the right path, not going off to one side or the other. Why did he use that word? Here's what he was saying. When you come to church, guess what? You don't just come to church for worship, but as you come to church, you witness. Because one of the ways we express our faith in Jesus, and one of the ways we show the world our hope is in Jesus, is by gathering together in church. And when you get up, unlike most of your neighbors, and you go to church, unlike most of your neighbors, what you're saying to your neighbors are, you know, what you're saying to your neighbors is, I don't know where your hope is, but I don't put my hope in a plan. I don't put my hope in a politician. I don't put my hope in a political party. I don't put my hope in possessions. I don't put my hope in prosperity. I don't put my hope in personality. I don't put my hope in polls. I put my hope in a person, and his name is Jesus. And every Sunday, when you come to church, you're telling your neighbors loud and clear, this is where my hope is. I mean, have you ever thought about what you're saying to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends, when you come to church, when you participate in church, when you get involved in church? Let me tell you what you're saying. You are saying to a world full of guilt in Jesus, there's hope for forgiveness. You're saying to a world full of death in Jesus, there's hope for eternal life. You're saying to a world full of hurt in Jesus, there's hope for healing. You're saying to a world full of war and racial strife in Jesus, there's hope for peace. You're saying to a world full of hatred in Jesus, there's hope for love. You're saying to a world full of brokenness in Jesus, there's hope for grace. Every Sunday when you come to church, you are sounding an alarm to your neighbors and to everybody that sees you driving up in our parking lot. This is where my hope is. This is where my hope lies. And by the way, we know, and like a lot of people, our hope will never be disappointed. And our hope will never be fruitless because listen to what he says in that last verse. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You don't have to answer out loud. If you want to, that's fine. 
Do you worship a God that's faithful? Do you believe in a God who is faithful? Do you worship a God and serve a God and know a God and love a God that always keeps his word? Say, yes, I do. Then you listen to this. We ought to be faithful to come to the church of God because the God of the church is faithful to us. We ought to be faithful to come to the church of God because the God of the church is faithful to us. And every time we gather together, we are confessing and professing to each other and to the world, our hope is in a risen Lord who is faithful, who will never fail us, who keeps every promise, who fulfills every word, who meets every need, who works out everything for our good and for His glory. And I'm telling you, we're living in a world that needs to see hope. And a world that needs to believe there is hope. Francis Chan, who I love, pointed out something to me I never thought about before. There's a terrifying verse in 1 Timothy where the Apostle Paul was talking about two men who had basically not just given up on the church, they'd given up on the faith. They just basically just rejected the faith. And here's what he said. He said, among them are Hymenaeus. By the way, what kind of a mom would name a kid that? But that's another story. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now listen to what he says. Whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now if you're like me and you've read that passage before, you have to ask yourself this question. What in the world does it mean to hand somebody over to Satan? What, what in the world, what is that all about? Well, what he meant was, when you hand somebody over to Satan, you have completely put them outside the church. You have disfellowshipped them from other believers. Now, why did he do that? He was hoping they would be so miserable that they'd repent and come back. And then Francis Chen said this. This shook me to my roots. Listen to this. Are you catching the weight of this? Paul equated removal from the church with being handed over to Satan. It is crazy to me that we live in a time, if you're watching, listen, we're, we're living in a time when people are voluntarily doing this to themselves. No church has placed them outside the fellowship. Instead, they have handed themselves over to Satan. Make no mistake about it. Let's just get it right where it is. Talk is cheap. You can say you believe in Jesus. You can say you trust in Jesus. You can say your hope is in Jesus. But if you do not make yourself a part of the church by attending it, supporting it, loving it, and serving it, what you're saying by your life is you have placed your hope somewhere else and you have placed your faith somewhere else. We are to exalt the Father together. We are to express our faith together. And then here's the last thing. We are to encourage our family together. We're to encourage our family together. Now, for the third time, we see this phrase. Now, watch what he says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, that word consider literally means to look out for or to focus on. Now, here's, here's what Paul said. You may not like this, but it's true. We're to look out for each other. We're to care for each other. We're to have each other's back. We're to focus on one another. We're to be there 
for one another. When God sent Jesus, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. And when Jesus left heaven, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. I got news for you. The moment you give your life to Christ, and the moment you become a follower of Jesus, you don't just get to think about you anymore. Now you've got to think about me. And now you've got to think about other believers. And now your focus has to shift. Because as followers of Jesus, we don't, even, we don't have just a responsibility to worship Jesus or witness for Jesus or work for Jesus. Yeah, I ought to do that. But you know what part of my responsibility is? To stimulate you to worship Jesus. And to stimulate you to love Jesus. And to motivate you to serve Jesus. And you know what your job is? Your job's to the person to your right and the person to your left, the person you're sitting behind, the person you're sitting in front of. Your job's to motivate them to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, and to serve Jesus. Listen, Christianity is a team sport. There's a lot of things you won't find in the Bible. One of these days I'm going to preach a message on all the things you can't find in the Bible. It's amazing things people think are in the Bible, but they're not there. But let me tell you one thing you will not find anywhere in the New Testament. You will not find it. You will never find an unchurched Christian. Never. Not there. Now, you may be like me. Maybe you didn't come to Christ in the church. I didn't come to Christ in the church. I came to Christ in a movie theater. But I'll tell you this. Whether you came to Christ in a church or you didn't come to Christ in a church, when you do come to Christ, he expects you to come to church. So, whether you were saved inside the church or you were saved outside the church, you were saved for the church. And that's where so many believers misunderstand the church. And they don't understand why is it imperative. Because I know some of you sitting there right now, you're watching me and you're going, good gosh, why are you so passionate? Why are you coming down so strongly? I mean, why, why, what, what, where's all this fire coming from? I'll tell you why. Because the primary reason you ought to come to church is not what you can get out of it, but what you can give to it. And by the way, the more you give to it, the more you'll get out of it. You reap what you sow. So here's the bottom line. The Christian life is not just a commitment to Christ. It is a commitment to other Christians. So once you decide to become a follower of Jesus, I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you decide to become a follower of Jesus, you don't just make one decision. Now you've made three decisions. You committed yourself to Christ. You committed yourself to lead others to Christ. And then you committed yourself to help, help other followers of Jesus become better followers of Jesus. So now we learn, now we learn why the author of Hebrews is making such a big deal out of this to begin with. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. I want you to focus in on that word neglect just for a minute. It wasn't that they were rejecting the church. I don't believe most of you out there that are watching me right now, you've not rejected the church. You don't hate the church. You don't despise the church. But you are neglecting the church. And eventually it becomes one and the same because for whatever the reason, 2,000 years ago, there was these believers who decided, you know what? Doing life together with other believers, being committed to a fellowship of the local church, it's just not that important. It's just not that big a deal. Well, again, that would be one thing if coming to church was just about you, but it's not just about you. Because he goes on to say this, 
but encouraging one another as you see the day approach. I know something that's true of everybody in this room. It's true of everybody watching me right now. Everybody needs encouragement. You know how I know that? I have never had a person all of my ministry come to my office, ever, sit down and I say, what is your problem? And look at me and go, I just need to get discouraged. <laughs> I've never had that happen. I had people say they need encouragement. We all need encouragement. We all need to know, you know what? We're not alone in this spiritual battle. We're not out there fighting this for ourselves. And here's what happens. When we come together and worship together and speak together and walk together and get together, we all get encouraged. So now let me just again, if I have not persuaded you, let me take one last shot. If you're one of those people and you think you're so spiritual and you're so godly and you're so mature, you don't need the church. You don't need a fellowship with other believers. Let me tell you why C.S. Lewis, Lewis started to come into church after he became a believer. This is really good. This will be worth coming to church for. With all respect to Georgie and the praise team who does a great job, the reason why he started coming to church was not because he loved the songs. He hated it. As a matter of fact, he said they were fifth-rate poems put to sixth-rate music. That's what he said. It wasn't because he particularly loved the sermons because he was such a brilliant intellect. Most of the time, the preacher was beneath him anyway. He said it wasn't really because he particularly liked the people because he said there, were, there were times he came to church and he just didn't particularly care to be around the people. But C.S. Lewis said, here's why I went to church. He said, because he believed if he didn't, listen to this, if you're watching by Zoom right now, if you're watching on your computer, listen to this. He was afraid he would fall into solitary conceit. Now, what did he mean by solitary conceit? Here's what he meant. I don't like to be around conceited people, and I'm assuming you don't either. Can't stand it. Can I tell you the most conceited person in the world? The most conceited person in the world is not the Hollywood celebrity who thinks they're a big shot. The most conceited person in the world is not the famous person that thinks everybody ought to want their autograph. The most fake, conceited person in the world is not that rich person who likes to show off everything they have. The most conceited person on this planet is someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, but they think you're, you think you're so spiritually mature, you can be a lone ranger Christian, and you don't need to go to church, and you don't need to give anything to the church. Well, let me just make it plain in a different way. If Jesus loved the church enough to give his life for it, you ought to love the church enough to give your life to it. If that makes you mad, you come up and apologize, I'll forgive you. If Jesus loved the church enough to give his life for it, we ought to love the church enough to give our life to it. So we're going to wrap this up. Here's where we are in America. I talk to young pastors all the time. Man, they're so discouraged. They're so beaten down. What's going to happen? We don't know if our people are going to come back. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going on. In fact, we're finding out right now. We're about to find out who the real followers of Jesus are. We're about to find out who the church really is. We're going to find out who really believes, yes, the church is his body. He is the head. And we're submitted to the head. And we really do love the body. Because if you can go to a restaurant, and people are going, 
And if you can go to a ball game and people are going, and if you can go to office and go to work and people are going, you can go to church. So, I close with this. Kevin DeYoung is a great pastor. He's one of my favorite authors. He said something, and the minute I read it, it was as pointed as a warrior spear and as powerful as an atomic bomb. So if you're still with me and you're still listening and you're still looking and you're still watching, listen to every word that he said. In more than a decade of pastoral ministry, I have never met a Christian who was healthier, more mature, more active in ministry by being apart from the church. But I have found the opposite to be invariably true. The weakest Christians are those least committed to the body. And the less involved you are, the more disconnected those following you will be. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. You know what I call that? Mike drop. We are in this together forever. Let's start right now. Would you pray with me? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, I want to say just a word very quickly. Forget being a part of a building. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a part of a body. Forget being a part of a monument. I mean being a part of a movement. Here's what it means to be a part of the church here. Listen to me. It doesn't mean having your name on a membership roll. It doesn't mean going to a church. It doesn't even mean giving to a church. You're not truly a part of the church until you're a part of the family of God because that's what the church really is. It's a family. And you don't get into the family on your own. You come to the family through Jesus. And so for some of you, you know what you need to do? Your first step is not coming to church. That's the second step. Your first church needs to be to come to Jesus. Jesus died for you. Jesus came back from the grave so that if you would trust in him, he would make you a part of his forever family. And that's when church becomes meaningful. That's when you see why it's such a big deal. That's why you say we ought to always be thankful for the local church because when you then come to church, you're saying, man, it's a family reunion. It's getting me ready for heaven. This is what I'm going to be doing for eternity. So you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never received him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you right now. You're, you're in this building. You're watching me right now online. You have never really become a part of God's family. You can be baptized and not be a part of God's family. Go to church and not be a part of God's family. Give money to the church and not be a part of God's family. You only become a part of the family of God when you receive Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to do that right now, would you just say this to him? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I have a physical family, but I'm not a part of a spiritual family. Today, that changes. I'm coming to you and asking you to become my Savior. I repent and turn away from my sins. I surrender all that I am to all that you are. I trust you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for letting me become a part of your family. And the family I'm now a part of for eternity, I'm going to be a part of on earth. And I make that promise to you today. 
Now, if you're watching online or you're even in this room, if you made that decision today to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became a part of God's family, I want you to let us know it. I want us to, you to let us help you begin that next step of really getting engaged in God's family. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right now, you get on your iPad or your phone or your computer. Go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Or, easy, text Jesus to 678-255-2566. You can do that sitting in this room right now or watching me on, on, by, by TV or wherever you're watching. Go to that website or text that to that number. That's all you got to do. There will be prompts that will tell you your next step with God. And by the way, this is where the church is getting. It's so important. The very next thing that Jesus wants you to do, once you become a part of his family, you know what the next thing is? Be baptized in a church. Because that's the way you profess your faith. That's the way you let people know. You have put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. If you made that decision today in this building, I want to encourage you when this service is over, we have a table out in our lobby called Connection Point. I'm going to encourage you, go to that table. Just let somebody know, hey, I made a decision today to follow Jesus. Or by the way, you may be sitting there saying, well, gee, I, I've never been baptized in a church. Well, you know what? If you're a part of God's family, that's the first thing he expects you to do. I want you to say, yeah, I want to be baptized. If you'll just go out to the table and say, you know, I've been saved, but I need to be biblically baptized. They'll help you get that going. You may say, I've already done that, but you know what? I've just kind of been floating around. I'm not connected to any church. You need to get connected here. Then I want you to do the same thing. Go to that table and say, you know what? We've been attending. We've been coming, but we need to get hooked up. We need to get plugged in. We need to get involved. And then for all of us, who is your one? Who's that one person that doesn't even know they can be a part of the family of God anytime they want to? They just need to know how. This week, let that one be the one you say, I need you to come to church with me September the 12th. That'll be your ticket. That's who your one is. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the church. I do not love the church because I'm a pastor. I don't go to church because I'm a pastor. I don't believe in the church because I'm a pastor. I love the church. I go to church. I believe in the church because it was your idea. You died for it, and it will be in heaven forever. So thank you for your word. And Lord, do something on September the 12th that maybe some people in this room doesn't even think is possible. And I'm believing you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.